All right, we're in Romans tonight, chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. By now you know I love all the high-tech stuff. I don't understand it, uh, but I, I like it. But I must admit I've had my fair share of problems with GPS, especially the early GPS, the freestanding car GPS. Now, GPS is really important to me. I'm pretty excited about it because I tend to get lost pretty easily. I don't really get lost so much as I don't know exactly how to get where I'm going, even though I've been there before. Uh, I got... I took the wrong lane just the other day going to Disneyland and I ended up I ended up humbled in the parking garage. I had to tell them I took the wrong lane and then they put a thing on your windshield that says exit. And you have to go out a special exit and they laugh at you. But anyway, so um I it, it's just a thing. I you know I get lost. Not long ago Gino and I were coming back pretty late at night. We'd been attending a board meeting at Calvary Chapel of the Antelope Valley. After the meeting, we went over to Pastor Mike Morris's house. He's a dear old friend of mine. We wanted to visit with him and his wife, Mary, for a few minutes. His house was kind of out of the way. I didn't pay any attention, really, to how we got there. Uh, you, know, you know, when you live someplace, and, you know, the easiest way is to take 500 turns you know, and stuff instead of going around. And so we didn't know where we were, but I just, you know, we got back in the car and we uh, put in the GPS that, um, you know, we wanted to go to Hanford. Uh, And so uh, all I really needed to do was find Highway 14 north to Mojave, uh, but that, I guess, wasn't going to happen. Instead, the GPS voice kept directing us to a back road to Hatchapi Willow Springs Road. I don't know if anybody's ever been on that road. I don't mean you, I mean anybody. Uh, It uh, said that it would get me to Tehachapi and then I could pick up the 58 home. So instead of taking the 14, they wanted me to cut across Tehachapi Willow Springs Road. We thought it was actually directing us to be axe murdered. Uh, It was just a really strange, dark road uh, like you would find in the Twilight Zone. Uh, And so... Uh, finally, we stopped, and I had to fool my GPS by telling it I just wanted to get back to an address in Lancaster. So I couldn't tell it I wanted to go to Hanford. I had to tell it I wanted to go to Lancaster. Uh, and then from there, we easily found the 14 on our own and headed home along the more familiar route. And so our destination was being dictated by the set points that we had given. We would ultimately get to our final destination. I have no doubt that uh, by now we would have gotten here uh, on Tehachapi Willow Springs Road, uh, but the route could be very different depending on what your set point was. Now, our text in Romans 8 tells us that we can, in verse 5, set our minds. Where we set them dictates our route as we journey homeward towards the mansions Jesus is finishing construction on for each of us in the heavenly city, New Jerusalem. And so verse, eight, or verse 5 rather reads, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
There's disagreement among commentators over whether Paul was contrasting non-believers with believers when he talked about flesh and spirit, or if he was contrasting two ways of a believer setting his or her mind. Paul has been talking about our struggle as believers with the flesh, that inclination, that influence we all have residing within us to indulge our appetites in sinful ways. I think, therefore, he is describing the sad possibility that even as believers we can still set our minds on the things of the flesh. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee gives this definition for according to the flesh. He says, in the flesh is the condition of humanity outside of Christ. To walk in the flesh is to walk on our own, outside of Christ's work, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether we do seemingly noble things or incredibly wicked things, if they are done without the Spirit of God, they are done in the flesh. Perhaps this clarification will help. We tend to think of the things of the flesh as blatant sins. Setting our mind on the flesh can mean that we give priority to the material realm over things that are spiritual. And so while we might not be committing heinous sins... When we give the material world priority, we are living just like we did before we were saved, only we're a little bit cleaner than before we were saved. And so when we use the wisdom of the world or apply our own knowledge to a situation, we're not really seeking the Spirit of God, um, then we're walking according to the flesh. I'm suggesting that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can set our minds on the material world and find ourselves on a route that... We'll still get us home, but it won't be the way that promotes spiritual growth. And either in my own life or your own life or in the life of a believer that you know, uh, you can identify these bad choices. Well, I don't want to use the word bad. These material choices, these natural choices, these fleshly choices. And, and they, weren't, you know, they weren't heinous things that you could go to a person and say, hey, you're in sin. But they weren't really spiritually motivated and they were, they were carnal, they were fleshly, they were of this world. And that, is, that becomes the set point and then everything is dictated by that set point. Whether you're going to go up the 14 or whether you're going to go the back road, you're still going to get to Hanford eventually, but uh, the way you get there is going to be vastly different. Uh, or, Paul says, we can live according to the Spirit and set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, notice first, Paul didn't say, set your mind on spiritual things. That's not the first thing he said. No, he first said, we live according to the Spirit. He's reminding us with that language that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, now resides within us. We have His life within us. Since He is a person and not just a force or an influence, we can listen to Him and live according to the comfort and the counsel and the conviction that he gives. Um, then after hearing from him, we can choose to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's say you are the passenger in a vehicle. You know exactly where you are going and how to get there. You, you've been there many times before. But the driver has consulted some other source and is going out of the way. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> actually, but uh, it, it might. He keeps missing key intersections and freeway transitions. Uh, I think you want to take the five right here. Oop, I guess not. Uh, 
Well, we're going to have to double back now. And, oh, well, no, this is this. We're going to end up in Lake Elsinore if you keep going this way. You know that kind of a thing. And you know where you're going, and and you have a suspicion. You know, the driver just they have their own mindset. Maybe they've got my old GPS device, which takes you, you know, all over the world to get to where you're going. Uh, but uh, you'll eventually get there. But you know, the driver should have listened to you because he knew where you were going. You might say he should have minded you. He should have obeyed you or set his mind by your directions. Uh, And so, uh, I remember the first two times we went to the coast from here. 1985. Long time ago. Do you realize how long ago? 1985 may not seem like a long time ago, but it was before the internet. And so, some of you young people, I don't think you understand you know, what the world was like. It was archaic and, and barbaric. It was cannibalistic everywhere you went. You know, it was just barely out of the Stone Age. Uh, and so it's 1985. We're driving some crazy, I think it was a 1979 Olds Vista Cruiser station wagon. Uh, it was a sweet car. Uh, and... Uh, had the crazy jump seat in the back so you could have nine passengers. The passengers in the back, they were in the tail, you know, the, 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 the back of the car. What is it called? Anyway, the cargo area. And uh, they were like this far from, you know, being killed, you know, because just you're kind of looking. At... But anyway, it was a pretty cool car. So, so we wanted to go to the coast. And that's when instead of the Internet or your cell phone, you consulted a glove box map, uh, you know, and... You know, I'm never really good at figuring. I think, well, that's you know, that's about that. That's about the same distance, you know. So you're doing the finger thing, uh, and so uh, if I had asked somebody who knew, rather than consult the map, I would have never taken Highway 198 all the way to the 101. <laughs> and I, I don't think anybody ever should. But uh, you know, that's something. I guess, I guess there's a big industry in King City. Uh, you know, but anyway, I did that once, nor would I have stayed on the 41 all the way to Morrow Rock, which looks really inviting on the map. You know, it's like, well, look at that, it just goes straight to Morrow Rock. Well, straight is a misnomer, of course, you know, especially when you have little kids that are, you know, blowing chunks all over you, you know, about halfway through. So anyway, never do that. Just take the 41 to the 46 to the 101. So, you know, think of the Holy Spirit as a kind of God-positioning spirit, a heavenly GPS directing you along your route. And so, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's a person. He wants to speak to you. This gets a little bit mystical. People say, oh, does God really talk to you? God gives you impressions. He uses His Word. He uses other people. There are ways that God speaks to you. And He tells you uh, what to set your mind on. Or you can just cruise right by those off-ramps you know, and think that you're going to get to your destination, and eventually you will, but it's going to be quite a detour. Now, I don't say this to detract from the Holy Spirit, but only to emphasize in an everyday illustration that we sometimes ignore Him along the royal route to heaven when really He knows the way that we ought to be traveling. Uh, And so there's a sense in which we shouldn't really do anything, Uh, you know, not out of fear, but just, I mean, we really, we've got this, this... partner, this comforter, this counselor, this person who wants to really help us in the Christian life. Uh, And I think our problem, again, isn't so much that we're committing terrible sins. That does happen. There are people who, you know, blow up and commit these heinous sins. 
But our problem is, like I talked about Sunday a little bit, we just think that we've got a lot more under control than we do. And, and that certain areas of our life are pretty tight. Uh, and we're not, really, we're not really even listening for the Spirit to say, hey, I have a different route that you can take now in this area of your life that is going to bring growth. Uh, and so verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, that's life and peace. When you set your mind on the flesh, you are carnally minded. It's another way of saying the same thing. In fact, flesh and carnal are the same Greek word. If you look in your Strong's Concordance, uh, it's it's the word we translate sarx, S-A-R-X. When facing a problem, we have a tendency to put our best intellectual or physical effort into motion. We draw on the best of our flesh to get the job done, but we've just learned from previous chapters in Romans that there's no good thing in our flesh. Uh, And so, you know, God's not looking for us to come up with our best. He's looking for us to yield to Him and to just do what He tells us to do. If you set your mind on the flesh and are carnally minded, it is death. Now, that doesn't mean you're not saved or you're living in habitual sin. It means your efforts and activities are all being done in a physical energy that lacks the spiritual life of the Spirit of God. Uh, You can compare it in a way... Again, not a great illustration, but you might get something out of this. It's like a person on life support. Their own life is gone and machines are keeping systems working. In our case, the things that are keeping us alive would be the works of the flesh. If I remove them, if I pull the plug, I would see that my efforts have no real life, no real leading from the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote, We are not all we were made to be, when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. And again, I'm not saying that we go out of our way to be illogical or irrational or take you know, blind leaps of faith and then blame it on God. But at the same time, if, if I can explain everything I do, if I can give a logical, rational, reasonable explanation for it, Uh, then what differentiates me from a person who is living in the world who can do the same thing? If, If I'm on, and again, I'm not saying that people have to be on a downward career path or a level career path or anything like that, but if I'm only interested in my own five year plan or 10 year plan to get from point A to point B, uh, and, and that's what all of my colleagues are doing, uh, am I really listening to the Lord? Am I willing to stop in the middle of that when I'm just about to achieve something, perhaps, and the Lord would say, hey, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to take an entirely new direction in your life. Or I want you to take a step down over here or go in this direction or that. And some of us have done that by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And those of you who have, even Christians ridicule you for that. They think, what an idiot. What's the matter with you? You were just about to achieve what you set out to achieve uh, and, and you're telling me that God doesn't want you to have the bigger car, the better house, the, the more expensive this or that. And sometimes the answer to that is no. Uh, it's not always no, but I think you get what I mean. I mean, there are times when people just have to make decisions that, that don't make sense. Uh, I mean, we're studying the life of Abraham. If Abraham's life makes sense to you, explain it to me. Because, you know, God, I loved Sunday. You know, God says, I want you to go to the promised land, the land of milk and honey, because there's going to be what there? A famine. Yeah. Woot, woot. 
If I go to the land of milk and honey, what am I? I want milk and honey. Lots of it. You know, I want, I'll bring jars to take it home and stuff, you know, and either you found nothing there. And so, and so if you had, you know, if you were the Hanford Sentinel and you were doing a follow-up interview with Abraham, hey, what did you find in the land of milk and honey? Nothing. Where are you? I'm in Egypt. His life was really kind of different, wasn't it? And our life has to be different at some point if we're following the Lord. Outwardly, sometimes there may be little difference between the activities and the successes of the carnally minded and the spiritually minded man. Or to put it another way, I can be carnally minded and appear to be accomplishing a lot spiritually. Uh, The example I always like to use is the one that we experienced together as a congregation. Some of you were here and you remember the Sunday years ago when I got up at the Y and said, hey, we're not going to be able to build anything on our land. It's over. There's just not enough money in the kitty, you know, to do that. Uh, And we can't borrow enough money to do that. And it was deflating. It was hard to do that, you know. Uh, We felt our only options would have been uh, carnal uh, for us. Fundraisers, appeals, issuing of bonds and those kinds of things. They just didn't seem to us to be the way of the Spirit. Uh, I know that other groups do that, and I, I hate to put people down for it. I'm just saying for us, you know, to get up and say, hey, God is leading us uh, to do this, and where God guides, God provides, and He's going to do that when you sell your second car. And it's, praise the Lord, it's April 15th. Some of you are getting God's tax refund right now. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And maybe that isn't always carnal. I, I want to be careful. You know, I've gotten more careful in my old age. Uh, I just say the same thing in a more careful way. But anyway, uh, you know, maybe those things aren't carnal. Maybe, uh, Pastor, I know locally, you know, not, well, in the area, not in Hanford, but during the, their building project, he just told everybody they had to buy their own chair. So we have, you know, we have enough money now to build our sanctuary, but we don't have enough money for chairs. So if you want to come to church and sit down, uh, you're going to have to buy your own chair, 35 bucks, you know. And so afterwards, everybody came up and threw in 35 bucks. And, you know, they... And then here's the problem with that, as far as I'm concerned. Because then after all that's done, after you've, you've squeezed blood out of that rock and gotten people to buy their chairs and they've sold their second car and they've, you know, done all of those things, then when it's all over and you do build the church, you know, you, build, you put up the building... Then you say, look at what God has done. Well, I, I, I'm not sure if it was God. I really am not. Because it would seem like, you know, seem like a raffle to me or whatever. You know, it didn't seem like the Holy Spirit. And so we just put the brakes on the building and immediately God opened the door for us to purchase this building at really a fraction of the cost of building from scratch. And we still own the land uh, and, uh, and now nobody wants to buy the land. <coughs> It's great. I love it. I'm going to put pumpkins on there or something. But anyway, one test that your setting is spiritual rather than carnal is the presence, it says in this verse, of life and peace. Life describes the outward effect you are having on others. They should be feeling grace from you and not condemnation. I have to be careful here because we don't go by feelings, but sometimes you're in a situation where where people... There, it seems like what's happening is spiritual or it's for a spiritual purpose, but you kind of feel like you're being manipulated or intimidated or pressured into doing something. And I don't think that's the life of the Spirit. 
I don't think the Spirit of God is about intimidating or manipulating or pressuring you. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, we like to say. That's a, a, one of the great Bible teachers invented that phrase years ago. I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't corner you in a dark room and say, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. If you don't get saved right now, these terrible things, you're going to find a horse's head in your bed or something like that. You know, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't intend. So sometimes ministry is going on. There's, there's Christian things going on. There's a spiritual kind of emphasis, as it were. But you go away feeling like a little bit dirty almost, you know, because there was, you know, you feel like you've just been sold a, a used car. And, you know, that somebody made you sign something that you weren't really ready to sign. And, and they kind of, and, and maybe, you know, the idea is that the end justifies the means because we need to get to this spiritual end. And so let's use these carnal means. And so, but that's not the life of the spirit. And so you should never really feel that way. Now, I want to be careful because sometimes you feel that way and it's your fault because you just feel that way. You know, you just, um, nobody's really pressuring you. you. You're just heaping on yourself. But I think you know what I mean. And then peace, that describes what you feel in your own heart. You're not agitated. You're not trying to make or force something to happen. You're just, the Lord, gosh, I guess, you know, like when our leadership was getting together to talk about and pray about and all the building stuff, you know, we just said, well, Lord, I guess this is your church, you know. If if you don't want to give us $5 million to put up a building, a barn, uh, you know, then I guess you're not going to do that. So you must have some other plan, which he did. And so, uh, you know, you just you want to have a peace about it. You don't want to get all agitated. I don't know how people go through projects like that, tell you the truth. They're just, you know, all the time on edge. Where's the money going? You promised me some money. You know, that kind of a thing. I saw you driving a new car. It's not a Toyota. It's a hybrid. But anyway, whatever, you know, some people go crazy. Some of you have been in churches like that. Or in situations like that. So verse 7, but the, uh, Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Enmity means hostility or oppression. <clears throat> when I set my mind on worldly material priorities, I'm opposing the things God wants for me. I can even be hostile to obeying the Lord. At those times, I don't choose to forgive or forbear or be patient or show long-suffering. I do choose to manipulate and intimidate. I do want to receive recognition for serving the Lord. Those are all things uh, of the carnal mind that is against God. It says here the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It's not subordinate to the spiritual intent of God's law. I may be keeping the letter of the law, but I'm failing to keep its spirit. I can be angry, bitter, resentful, rude, etc., all the while thinking I'm walking with God and that my reactions are justified. I don't know how many people, well, even I'll use my own life, forget the other people. I don't know how many times in my own life I've thought, well, Jesus turned over the tables in the temple so I can be a jerk. You know, I mean, Jesus had a very specific thing going on there when he overturned the money changers temple, uh, you know, the tables in the temple. And usually I am just being a jerk uh, when I'm acting angry and resentful and all those kinds of things. Now, it's great that we don't commit the really big sins. Uh, I remember ra- being raised in the Catholic tradition. You know, and at that time they had seven mortal deadly sins. 
and if you committed any one of them, you were done. You were toast. There was no hope for you. And then I think, I mean, quite honestly, so many people started committing some of them that they had to adjust their thinking about that. Uh, but even today, as Protestants, we think of major sins. Uh, and, and yet we're always surprised in those New Testament lists of sins when something we consider less sinful appears in them. Earlier in Romans, back in chapter 1, Paul listed backbiters and those who were disobedient to their parents along with the sins of fornication and murder. And you think, I mean, maybe you don't think this, but I think, hmm, that's, I, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, to me, I would have had a cascading, you know, this sin, this is the worst sin, down to, you know, whatever. And uh, I put gluttony at the bottom, of course. But uh, anyway, you know, I don't know how gluttony ever got to be one of the deadly sins. I mean, come on, you know. But, uh, uh, but you know, Paul says, oh, fornicators, and then people are disobedient to their parents. What? And, and murderers and backbiters. And, and so it's very interesting. What that tells me is that I should be growing more sensitive to sin, not just sins. It's relatively easy to keep from murdering someone. I've, I've so far today, I've, I haven't killed anybody. And neither of you, and probably most of us, I, I say most of us, but, you know, there are, I don't know, I can only speak for the ones I know, but uh, probably most of us are going to get through our lives without committing premeditated murder. It's just the law of averages are on our side. But it's not so easy to keep from backbiting a person or gossiping about them. And then it, you know, and then Paul says, yeah, they're in the same list. And so what he's saying is that you need to become more sensitive to sin and sinning. And, and so, so now I'm not murdering people anymore, but I need to grow so that I'm actually showing people love and kindness and respect and honor and those kinds of things and that I'm not backbiting and, and I have to become more sensitive. I can't just be content with uh, not committing big sins. I have to become sensitive to being a sinner. So then, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To the extent my priorities are worldly and material, I cannot ever please God, period. That's the end of that discussion. Other people, other believers can look at me and envy me for my seeming success and spirituality, but if my methods are carnal, then it is all an outward hypocrisy. Well, how does this work out in practical, everyday living? Let's use marriage as our example. No. Yes, let's do that. Uh, when a couple is experiencing problems, often their first solution is to do something in the realm of the material. I've, I've told you this many times before. My life is kind of an open book. You know, I only, you know, I only have so many stories. I'm just one man. But anyway, uh, when, before Pam and I were saved, we had a terrible marriage. I don't want to go into it. But at one point, we still thought we could save our marriage. And the technique for saving our marriage was to move uh, from San Bernardino, which uh, garden spot, but anyway, you know, to move from San Bernardino up into the mountains, uh, 30 minutes, 7,000 feet to Running Springs, beautiful mountain community up there. Uh, and we thought, you know, we'd go home from work at night. It'd be kind of like going away for the weekend every night. It would spark romance. It would do all this other stuff. And it just didn't work out that way uh, I can tell you it, it, anyway it's, the house was a nightmare it was, it was like the, you ever seen that movie The Money Pit 
it was like that as far as just getting the house built. And it was just a tiny house. It wasn't much bigger than this stage, to <laughs> tell you the truth. It was there. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was, but it was cute, you know. But we thought, yeah, this is it. We're going to go there, uh, and and it's we're going to, you know, it's going to renew our marriage. And it just doesn't work out that way. Um, you move to a new house, a new city, or you establish. I think the biggest thing that I hear now, and and if you've done this, please don't take it as a criticism. I think it's great, but date night. Date night is the salvation, the, it's like the Christian salvation of marriage. You know, if, if you tell somebody, oh, I'm having some problems, do you have a date night? Because if you don't have a date night, then it's a hate night. No, I don't know, well, something like that. But anyway, you know, date night is the answer to everybody's problem. Uh, there's nothing automatically wrong with those things. If you want to move to Running Springs, that's fine. If you want to have a date night, that's fine. But those are not spiritual things. Those are physical things. Those are things of the flesh, actually. Because the real problem in your marriage is always an underlying spiritual issue. Resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. The mind of one or both spouses is set on things like that, things that are carnal and of the flesh. And if your mind is set like that, then you can have a date every night and still be the same carnal person. You need to get your heart right with God. You need to set your mind according to the things of the Spirit and become a forgiving person who is not harboring bitterness and resentment, who isn't selfish, you know, those kinds of things, who is growing more sensitive to sin and, and all of that. Uh, those are things that have to be dealt with spiritually. Uh, uh, nothing physical will overcome them. One or both spouses must be broken and reset their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so those of you who use GPS in your car, you've heard the voice say, recalculating route. I've heard it a lot. Usually what happens is you've gone by the turn that, turning in 400 feet, turning in 200 feet. You didn't turn. Re- recalculating route. And I've been in situations where it, it's like they just asked me to pull over while they recalculate the route. You know? And, and then it says up on the screen, it comes, make the the soonest safe U-turn you can make, you know, because you can't get there from here, you know. And, uh, ah, it's just crazy. Christians and even entire churches sometimes need to recalculate their route because they've been set on flesh, on things of the flesh, rather than things of the Spirit. Now, I always operate from the assumption that we all want God's best for ourselves. And in this case, God's best would be to live according to the Spirit. And since we want to uh, do that, uh, here are some things that we ought to do. First, take an honest appraisal of your recent decisions or current trials. Ask yourself if you're putting your best flesh forward or if you're relying on the Holy Spirit. Second, ask God the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh sense of His indwelling presence. After all, He is a person and He lives in you. And third, mind any leading you get from Him. Recalculate a root in your marriage or ministry where you can honestly say that the Holy Spirit is leading you. All right?